discuss the impact of the internet on business. I'm Anders Brown. I am Scott Barstow. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing very well. You? I'm doing very well as well because Apple is at 500 today. <laughs> big, big news. Yeah, that is big news. Big news. And I think uh, it's just on trend. You know, it's kind of if you look at the uh, the value, the amount of cash they have versus the uh, the value. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it doesn't seem to be out of line. Uh, it feels to me like they've got a split at some point, right? Well, you know, the, it's not been their their history really to spl- certainly not been their history to pay a dividend. Right, uh, they've split, yeah. but I mean, it would just I, be. I mean, it's like Google, though. It, it, I just think it. You know, when when companies are over six hundred bucks a share, it's just out of reach for most everybody. Yeah, that's so. well. You know, it's only a it's only a uh, just a just a number. I mean, you know, look at Berkshire Hathaway at you know what are they hundred hundred grand or whatever. Yeah, that's true. So I mean, you know, if Apple were to split, they would it would just generate an enormous pile of cash. Yeah, and they already have have an enormous pile of cash. Yeah, much more <laughs> enormous pile of cash. So I'm not so sure how how useful yeah. it is. But um, that's true. That's true. Yeah. They they've got no reason to. Right now, yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah. So you brought up the idea about a uh, personal name system. Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing. I was driving this. down the road the other day, yeah. and I needed a number for uh, I needed a number for somebody that I know, but I don't have their phone number. Yeah. And so I know who they are, and but I just didn't have it. I didn't have it on my phone. I couldn't. There was no way for me to look for it. And so I started thinking of this idea of. Yeah, you know, we've got DNS right now that yeah. sort of anonymizes the whole IP infrastructure. Right. Or, you know, it makes it easy to understand. Makes it, it puts it in English. Yep. yep. And so and so we've got I started thinking about, well, we've got the same thing with phone numbers. And you and I have talked before about phone numbers where soon <clears throat> sooner or later phone numbers are going to become irrelevant anyway. Yeah. Um, because I will have every phone number. I, maybe I have I have all the phone numbers I need. I don't need a phone book, and I can, you know, all the things that we had when we were growing up are no longer necessary. But I still have this issue of if I don't know somebody's phone number, I still need a way to get it. Yeah. Or better yet, I need a way to just get a hold of them. Yeah. Right. Just like oh, I need to know uh, I need to know something about Apple. I can go to apple.com. Yeah. And so I started thinking about this idea of just being able to do a, a search and find somebody's, you know, find the contact information I'm interested in and be able to contact them, I think at first anonymously. And yeah. so I have, you know, I make a request to call Anders Brownworth. Uh, you make certain amounts of information public about how to get a hold of you and the rest of it is private. And if it's private for me, uh, then I simply, uh, you know, there's a there's a way, there's a system in place that transits that call to you and doesn't give me your private phone number, but allows me to get in touch with you. All right. So the so the, the the obvious sort of uh, thing there that people would point to is Facebook, LinkedIn, About Me, these kinds of services. Yep. The critical- but that's a, the the problem is with yep. those, as you and I have talked about, is that they are they are closed systems. They are, and they're centralized. And they are, unlike DNS, which is uh, distributed by its very name. Right. So you can you can uh, uh, parcel out the control of it to as many entities as you need. 
Correct. And so, there would be a common protocol. You know, there, DNS already, already has, I think, most of the protocols we would need to make this work. That's true. So such a thing exists. There, there are a few problems, though. So uh, when you're talking about phone numbers, let's rewind the clock to the, oh, uh, let's just say the early 90s uh, before really anybody had cell phones to speak of and all phone numbers essentially routed to landlines. Um, it was possible. I mean, you can. There is a a spec in DNS that's that's published, and you can use it uh, where you hand in a phone number and you get back an IP address. And the usefulness of that would be so that you can create a VoIP call to that IP. Um, yep. So so this all worked fine and dandy while the the internet, while the phone network rather, uh, you know, stayed amongst some geographical bounds where you could say. All the phone numbers in this exchange go to this uh, this device or whatever it is. Um, that's no longer the case. Certainly, when you port numbers away, and certainly when you have a mobile phone that could be roaming pretty much anywhere in the world, it's hard to break those down uh, on number boundaries anymore. Yeah, um, agreed. Your phone number really means nothing. It does. My my, I have a phone number within with an area code from New York. Yeah. And I took that with me to California when I lived and worked in Silicon Valley, down in North Carolina where I worked there, and now it's with me up in in Cambridge in Massachusetts. Yep. So, uh, and and I would argue as it should be, and and maybe this is just the first step on amongst many of making the phone number irrelevant. Yeah, um, I think so. I I mean, I will. I can't imagine a scenario where I won't keep my current phone number. I've had it for. Um, I've really had it for the life that I've had a meaningful mobile phone. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I had a mobile phone in Virginia, but when I moved to, when I moved to North Carolina, I switched numbers because I didn't really care about it, but I've had this number. I mean, this is how everybody knows how to get a hold of me at this point. Yeah. Um, and so I wouldn't, I can't imagine a scenario where I get rid of that. So the question is then how do you, uh, so companies have come in Facebook and, and others to try to do, uh, identity. Google, yep. you know, whatever. The, but the problem is they're all centralized, and what we really need uh, is what I hear you saying, a either a draft spec or something like that that uh, allows for an open system where authority can be uh, delegated. And what better place than DNS? Now, it makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense. When you say, uh, you know, you, you want to find, you want to talk to somebody at, uh, you know, Google as a company, Right, you go to Google. And that's probably a bad example because everybody thinks of Google as search. Well, so let's say uh, you know Rocket Hanger. Yeah. So to get to Rocket Hanger, you say RocketHanger.com. Okay. Well, obviously you bring up a web browser, but why can't that be? Why can't you clear that as a phone number? So in in Skype, you type in RocketHanger.com and yeah, out or pops. Scott at, or Scott at RocketHanger.com. Yeah. Right? If I know who it is, but if I just want to talk to, yeah, sure. I don't care anybody. So yeah. it should be that. So so that meshes very well with the DNS system. The only reason that doesn't exist is because nobody has – I'm sure people have proposed it, but nobody has signed on you know, in, in any significant number to actually right. clearing those names. And sure enough, if you go into Skype and type in a domain name, Skype will crash yeah. uh, or, or an email address. Now, now you're right. It should I should be able to – Go into Skype and type in, uh, you know, Scott at RocketHanger.com, and bam, you know, I can get to you. Granted, I'm I'm any Joe off the internet, and you may decide to handle my calls differently because 
you know, that's right. because of how yep. I'm getting to you. But, yep. uh, you know, that still should be a possibility and certainly should be at least for businesses. When yep. it gets down to, to actual people, I mean, maybe that's less obvious. But if you already have a Gmail account, why can't you, you know, email Anders at Gmail or whatever it happens to be? Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. So, yeah. 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 Anyway, I've, it's uh, it's something to pontificate on. Yeah, it is. And and because uh, I think it would be interesting, and I think you could do the same thing with text and other stuff that uh, you know that you traditionally use. You think of phone functions or whatever. Yeah. Uh, where you know I want to text you, and you've got a you've got a way to say, look, if it comes from somebody I know. You know, so if it comes from a trusted source, then go ahead and push it onto my phone. If not, put it in this, you know, route it to this other address, yeah. just like you would for with DNS, um, you know, route it to this other address. And that could be your Google voice number that, you know, dumps all of your text there and you go review all of your anonymous stuff once a day or whatever. Yeah, so, sure. Yeah. Um, but it was it just was frustrating as I was driving down the road, I was thinking, well, why am I still in a place where I can't just search somebody and get a hold of them? Yeah, right. Uh, the number is irrelevant. Yep, does, it doesn't does, matter. It doesn't matter how you get to them. You just can't get to them. Yeah, agreed. Yep, the number is the IP address. Sure, right. So anyway. Yeah, very interesting. So yep. um, yeah, do you want – so you were telling me about uh, self-reliance. What is this all about? Yeah, so I've been reading. I've been reading the uh, Self Reliance by Emerson, and fantastic book for anybody that has not read it. It's my f I, I bought it probably three months ago, and I've probably read it through no less than six times. No way. Times. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Life altering. And that's resounding. Uh, that's quite. And a, so, and every time I read it, I get a new. You know, I'll hit some passage that I didn't really read before, and now that's a highlight or whatever. But. I started thinking about this uh, uh, this whole idea in light of an article that I read last week, where um, there was uh, there was this discussion about hazing on college campuses now, and how it's gotten completely out of out of control. As you know, I don't know if you know, but there's this college in Florida, the band, this Florida A and M. There was a band member that was hazed and was killed. Wow. Um, and I forget what it was, but there was another there was another similar story. Uh, was from another university in the south it was for a fraternity and this uh this kid died from alcohol poisoning which is not uncommon mm -hmm. it, it seems to happen you know i don't know how many times it happens a year but it's just absurd however yeah. many times a year it happens and so i started thinking about those two things and the idea that there's still just this strong current of needing to belong to something that's so strong that kids will uh, you know, drink themselves to death or swim in a, you know, a tub full of other people's vomit or, you know, whatever it is just to belong to, you know, a Greek house or whatever the organization is. Yeah. And it seems to be most prevalent in college. And I know you sent, you posted something this morning. This is kind of a long winded introduction to the topic, but you posted something this morning about MIT starting to make some of their courses available online. And of course, Stanford has already done this through iTunes U. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just feel like the, you've still got these vestiges of kind of the former society where it was important to fit in. It was important to be a cog in the machine. It was important to, you know, be a, be a, be a part of something and it feels like that's starting to go away 
And so I wonder what the impact of, you know, places like MIT being able to, uh, you know, if I'm able to take a, let's call it a 100 level course from MIT while I'm in high school or whatever those things are. And I just wonder what the impact, the societal impact of things like, you know, people being, it being less and less important to fit in. Yeah. Well, so this is this is very interesting. I've been was actually talking to a friend of mine today about this, about how uh, you know in general education needs to change. Uh, MITx is uh, just one in you know a long series. You mentioned uh, iTunes U, which of course MIT does as well. So there's Harvard, you know Stanford, the whole like uh, the whole panoply really. Um, and the other example I would bring into this is the Khan Academy. You know about Khan Academy? Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My kids are on it every day. Oh, they are. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's very interesting. For those who haven't, uh, haven't seen Khan Academy, it's basically 10-minute little video lectures that teach you some topic uh, in, in, in a larger course. And you can, as a student, play it over and over as many times as you need. Uh, you know, pause it in the middle, whatever you need. Basically, it goes at the pace that you need it to go at, which if you take that in the classroom environment, inverts the the whole paradigm so that as a student, you go home and you actually learn. That's when the lecture happens. You watch the video, you learn how to do things. If it's a math class, you know, you know how you figure out how to do you know, derivatives or something. And then when you come into class, it's the practical. It's the thing that you would normally have done as homework. You sit there and you practice through them when you have a teacher that actually knows what's going on and they can come in. So I think it's very interesting because it changes the whole dynamic. It allows the kids to go as quickly or slowly as they need to. And it, the class is not constrained or, or, you know, set at a certain pace of maybe the middle speed learner. Um, I think personally, this is something I would really have uh, done well with. Yeah, um, I in, agree. In high school, it would have been really great. But uh, the other thing it brings up, as you mentioned, is this whole concept of uh, nonconformance. Uh, yeah. In a way, I think that this whole—it's—it's uh, it's, taking a step back. It's very easy as a as somebody who's hiring people to look at a resume and say, okay, this guy went to Stanford, he got a CS degree, he's, you know, I kind of have a pretty good idea that he's, you know, at least a certain level. Yeah. Um, you don't get that when you have a kind of learn on your own type of thing that doesn't have any accreditation. Uh, I, I believe that in the long run, this type of thing will have to work out probably in the sense of a, uh, a credit or, or something that you can earn. And then in the long run, you, you, you know, basically self, uh, define the degree that you're going to get in a sense, you don't even get a degree. You just define what you're going to learn and you define all those avenues and, and they all end up as, as elements on your resume in a sense. Because yeah, and I think there probably emerges some kind of independent standards board within much like the SAT or something like that. Yeah. Where if I've got a CS, if I feel like I've got the equivalent of a CS degree, maybe there's some exam that I sit for, yeah. much like the LSAT or the SAT or the bar or whatever. 
and I you prove yourself and I prove that I know the material. Yeah. And that's really outside of the personality things, which you have to get anyway in the in the course of interviewing for a job. I've got to figure out whether you're a fit personality wise, not just if you're smart enough. Sure. And so and I would argue that's as important as the smart part in many cases. Oh, agreed. Um, but the so but you still got the human element to it, but you there there feels like there could be this um the ability to I think as you said, define a path that is that is unique to what I'm interested in, yeah. and you know, and set up. Maybe that's a, a mix. Maybe my degree is a mix of, you know, Harvard classes, uh, Harvard business class with a Stanford CS class with an MIT, you know, circuits class. Right, which is you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's essentially what I'm doing right now. I mean, I've. I'm, taken a whole bunch of the Stanford classes. That was how I got into iPhone development, actually, back in the day. I took the iPhone course, which, which was excellent. I've taken a bunch of uh, uh, MIT courses. Um, yeah, it's so, so, but here's the other thing. Here's the other thing that I think about when you look at traditional uh, education, where it does seem that it's modeled amongst a uh, industrialized, uh, you know, worldview. Um, you go to school for 20 years, whatever, however long it ends up being. And at the end of that, you get your degree and you're out, you're done. And I, to me, that always seems very counterintuitive because I like to, I would like to at least, uh, uh, you know, put off the idea to people that, look, you got to be a lifetime learner. You, you know, you don't graduate and you're done. Like doctors... Right. They graduate and then they have continuing education. Lawyers, there's continuing yep, CPAs. education. Yep. Sure. So Same thing. Why isn't that the case for everyone? I don't know. It's it a, should it's be. A, it should be. It absolutely should be. It should be a discipline that's built into each, um, each you know, market that you're where there's a you know where you can work. There should be this idea of oh. And I, it's it, with CPAs and doctors and all that. It's mandated by the boards of those, you know, sure. those organizations or whatever. So why isn't there? It'd be interesting to think about. Okay, there's a computer science standards board that, and here's how you make sure that you stay current. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be. I mean, it doesn't have to. It shouldn't be mandated. I would say it would be. The problem is really that there is no accreditation system or or credit system that is universally, uh, uh, you know, accepted, used or accepted. Right. So if I yeah. put something on a resume and I say, I, you know, I did this, that, I have a degree from here, I did this and the other thing, but I decided to go in the completely different direction. And I took this, you know, Egyptology course from, uh, professor Bob Breyer at Long Island university, which incidentally is a fantastic course, and I've taken, I've gone through it a number of times. Uh, you know, there. And now I'm not trying to pretend I'm a, a Egyptologist, Egyptologist or anything, but I mean, you know, why can't? Why doesn't that count somewhere? Right. Because no, I agree. it's it's weeks of work to get through it. I mean, yep. I'm not tested at the end of it in its current form, but you know, I could I could take a test. Sure. Why not? Um, why so couldn't we I put a test online? Right? right. Exactly. So I feel like at this point, we're kind of just getting into the situation where the content there is now a free and abundant. And had such a thing been available when I was 
just before I was going into college, I might have dove, you know, taken a dive in a whole broad area, range of subjects, and then figured out what I was going to do, and then went to college, which, you know, would have delayed me a year or two, but I think I would have had a much better time at college. And then the other side of this, where um, you we don't have any any credit system for this, so what ends up happening is you you do your you do your time, right? You get your paper yep. and then you're free. And then everything else you do is, is there's this giant glut. So all of this time that I put into learning, it's straight up just so I can learn, just so I can become a better person around myself in a sense, mm-hmm. not necessarily get a better job. Now getting a better job is not the goal of education, but it is certainly one of the side effects. Yes, absolutely. So you, but you do need to be able to be, you know, you need to be able to say that somehow. Yeah. So, so how do you, how do you solve the problem of, in this model, how do you solve the problem of equal access? So one of the things that the public school system does right, I would argue, is that it provides equal access and equal opportunity. So I can, if I'm in a low income area or whatever, you know, there's, if there's a good public school, Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have to pay for it. I can show up. I get a, it's, it's a, in some ways is a chance, it's a ticket out. Okay. But um, so if why, I use it right. Why isn't that done already? I mean, you, anybody can go on YouTube and look at Khan Academy. Not if I don't have a computer. Okay. All right, fine. So, so you need, you need to go to a library that has a computer or whatever. I mean, I'm just saying it's, there's a, there's more, there is this social aspect to. There is who, but who in the developed world doesn't have some way to get to a computer? Well, I think most people would, even if I live in, you know, middle of nowhere or whatever, sure. um, you know, I can go to the New York public library and, and get on a computer. Yeah. Um, I guess the question is if, if everybody had, if that was the mode of education, then, all of a sudden, the city of New York's got another problem uh, to solve about how to get everybody that needs, you know, needs uh, screen time or whatever. Okay, sure. The net. But, sure, but you but know, it's, it's a solvable problem for yeah. sure. And I would, I would imagine that it's cheaper to do that than it is to, you know, stand up, you know, new public school buildings or whatever. There's probably. Yeah, I wouldn't have any idea of the economics of that. But anyway, it's just... Yeah, totally agreed. So I got one other tangent on this. Yeah. So, um, so the Apple uh, iBooks, uh, you know, whole thing, which basically came out for iBooks, the author app came out for textbooks. Um, you, see, you see them trying to, I mean, there's like little videos and you see all the kids in the class and everybody has an iPad and they're all reading iBooks and they're... They're being very efficient or whatever it is. Yeah. I don't see this as the way that it rolls out. I don't, I don't either. I don't think that's the point. Yeah, I don't I think, think the point of of that kind of uh, distribution of textbooks is just – you don't just replace one with the other. Yeah, no, you don't. But the the thing that you do do though is you you, uh, you, 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 know, you collect together as groups on the net of a bunch of – people that happen to have that platform, iTunes U, iBooks, whatever it is. And that's how you get together as a class. It's not like trying to fund the class to, so everybody gets iPads in the, in the classroom. I think that's right. the wrong way to go about it. I agree. Um, and I think that it's, I also don't think that it's just, I don't, 
recreate the same textbook uh, in you know a format that's consumable on Certainly the iPad. Not. And, you know, and that's what I, so I just read it on the iPad instead of reading it from a textbook. Yeah, that's that, not that makes right. no sense. No, that does, that does make no sense. But here's the thing. I mean, you know, if you, if done right, if an, and if you get an iBooks textbook that is done right, like for example, you know, you, you look at uh, derivatives and you're reading about derivatives and then you see a little video that shows a graph growing and, and, you know, curves, and then you, you drop a point at that thing and now you can see the slope of the line at that point or something that's interactive. I mean, th this is where it goes beyond the textbook. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so we're, we're, we're 100 miles away from a good implementation of this because most yep. textbooks, textbooks are straight up, you know, just textbooks. You can't, you can't, it's like taking a newspaper and making it a website. You can't just do that. You got to right. have more than that. It's got to use the interactivity, use the updatability. You got to use some of the benefit of the technology. And it's just yeah. not there yet. No, so. and, and, and newspapers, quite frankly, don't do a great job of it yet either. Yeah, I that's mean, true too. I mean, you've got, I would say, I would say that, you know, you've got the New York Times app on the iPad and the Wall Street Journal app that yeah. are both really good, but it's still mostly just browsing articles. Yeah, it's very similar to the newspaper experience. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's just a replacement. Though I'll tell you who does an interesting job uh, of delivering content is the Daily, which oh, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I it's, am. Uh, I it's, yeah. So um, we subscribe to it um, here, and uh, it's they actually do a really good job of of splicing in interesting ways to see the information. You know, they'll give you a video in line with a. In line with the article, they'll give you a bunch of really interesting graphs. They'll give you a you know a set of pictures that you can scroll through as a part of it. It's a really yeah. rich experience, uh -huh. and I think they're probably of all the ones I've interacted with um, in terms of just straight up newspapers. And I don't get I don't read a lot of them. It's really just the Times and Wall Street Journal. Yeah, um, but they seem to do a decent job of it. So maybe that's a that's a glimpse of. Uh, getting close there maybe they're 60 miles away instead of 100 miles away yeah yeah well we'll see i mean it's it's uh certainly very exciting uh love to see the i mean i the as in closing i'd love to see like a a uh, some kind of a credit system that you can i don't care if it's itunes U or 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 something delivered on ibooks or this mitx uh uh experience just something where you can you can uh, log in and uh, do the, do the time and, and learn and then be able to put a mark on the board and then yep, show that on your resume. Yeah, I think it's got to be an independent. I don't think it it's can be independent. A, yeah, it yeah. can't be a company. It's probably got to be an independent nonprofit kind of organization that says yeah. that you know governs this thing. Yeah, a testing organization or something like that that yeah. that is able to say. You know, Harvard class is a is the same as a, you know, University of Illinois class as long as they're covering the same topics, mm -hmm. and as long as the test you know the test material is this, and um, here's what you need to know, and if you can prove that you know it, then off you go. Yeah, totally agreed. Yeah, and I, I think it it's a long winded way back to our you know this idea of uh, teaching the ability to think for yourself and and to act in a way that um, is not just, oh, I've got, you know, I've got to join this or I've got to join that. I, I, I'm yeah. hoping that we're headed towards, back towards an environment where um, independent thought is, uh, becomes valued again. 
I hope so, but uh, but I, it hasn't seemed it doesn't seem very uh, 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 popular at this point. No, there's such a strong current the other way. It is. Yeah. Such, so anyway, I guess that what that's what makes this stuff more fun to talk about, though. Absolutely. If everybody was doing it, it wouldn't be as interesting. Totally. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, we will we'll be back next week and leave us some comments. By the way, on iTunes, if you would, uh, helps people find us, and we will see you next time.